The NBA is changing the alt-cast game with help from a tech startup. LeBron James, Peyton Manning, and the Obamas are reportedly teaming up on an NBA docu-series, and Knicks owner James Dolan struck a deal with himself. Plus, we'll hear from veteran NBA journalist Mark Spears. It's Wednesday, October 25th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Many leagues and networks have been trying out alternative broadcasts, such as the Manning Cast, the K-Rod Show, and the Bird and Tarasi Show. But the NBA, working with a company called Playback, are taking this from individual shows with famous athletes to a platform that allows a wide array of podcasters, personalities, and other voices to have their own alt-cast through the NBA League Pass streaming service. I spoke to Playback co-founder RJ Halperin about what exactly they are doing here and why. Welcome, RJ. Could you just start by telling us what was the genesis of Playback? So, look, the problem where we sort of set out to start is we kind of fundamentally think the way sports are broadcast um, is basically just outdated. It's not necessarily broken, but it doesn't live up to what I would call like 21st century expectations, in particular as it relates to young consumers. And so the challenge we set to ourselves is basically like, what is the better way or what is the sort of next way fans will want to consume live sports? And we focused in particular, on what I would call like two, they're kind of themes, but they're really just like two trends um, that we think sort of underpin like all of our hypothesis and the product and everything. The first is we have felt for a long time that like sports is competitive advantage compared to other content is around social and community. Basically, like all of the best ways to consume live sports in real life are often social in nature. So think living rooms, apartments, but also going to a sports bar or going to a stadium. Like sports is a piece of content that's very clearly elevated by like the social atmosphere around it. And if you just completely took that away, then you like you really worsen the experience for sort of the average fan. Um, so that's kind of one trend or at least theme we kind of focus on. The other is this kind of emergent behavior, in particular among like young internet sports fans in general, but it's obviously applicable to beyond sports fans of like creator centric communities and essentially like the way in which the online sports landscape has been sort of divided up into these different micro communities that are often headed by creators or multiple creators really. Um, and how we think there's clearly a trend here. Um, and it's particularly notable in gaming, but we think it's applicable in sports of relying on these creators as sort of like a community linchpin and also the type of person basically communities want to orient themselves around and hang out with. And how does all of that dovetail into the sort of experience you're trying to create for the user? We focused on those two things and felt like there was something in there that would be sort of the better way to watch sports. Um, and so we built this platform that essentially like integrates those creators and their communities directly into the sports broadcast and allows them to actually watch together. And there's kind of three things in particular we're doing that we like, like to highlight. One is, um, and you'll see this if we actually check out the demo itself, like we're building this as a true first screen experience. And what that really means is like we think the best version of this is one in which you do have both the live stream and the creator and the community chat all in the same place. So a user doesn't need to necessarily rely on this as a second screen experience. They can actually get it all in one place. It's a much better, more cleaner and frankly, just more engaging experience. So that's the first thing. The second thing is relying on the creators in particular around, well, I think we think of creators very broadly defined. And so a lot of attempts to do this in the past have kind of isolated at like what we would call like the top end. So former athletes, Manning cast, stuff like that, which clearly has a role to play in the ecosystem. But I think what's been notable to us is 
there are a very broad spectrum of sports content creators who have very strong ties to their audience and community. And you should be working with all of them, not limiting yourself to just like the higher end, because the more focused and narrow the sort of creator is and the more like it's targeted a specific niche, the more likely that audience will join and the more likely they'll spend more time watching. So that's, that's sort of our second. And then the third is, is maybe the most nuanced point, but it's something we strongly believe. The community shouldn't be sort of like a second class citizen in the experience. Like basically they shouldn't be passive. They need to be active. And the way that manifests for the most part in our room is actually in the chat and making it really a two way conversation in the chat between both community members talking to other community members, but also community members talking to the people on stage, the creators on stage. And it all sort of blends together into something that feels like to us basically like the online sort of equivalent of a sports bar. Like it's meant to have like the energy of watching a sports bar. It's meant to have like that same sort of communal type feeling and it's meant to kind of elevate the experience. And so that's that's the product we built and that's sort of how we're trying to solve the problem. What did it take to get this ready for primetime and get the NBA's buy-in? We've been beta testing this for a while now. Um, we actually first started building the product all the way back in 2020. It took about 18 months to do the tech here um, because it is some pretty complicated tech around synchronized streaming. And then we started rolling out some individual tests, culminating in a sort of full beta test during the last NBA season. And what we saw that frankly got us really excited and also got the NBA really excited is during that testing, which was very small scale and limited, but we were still able to learn a lot. Basically, our average user was watching over like four hours and 15 minutes per week of NBA content in playback. Uh, and we could also track their sort of usage over the course of the season. And what we basically saw is like, October signups doubled their engagement over the course of the season. And so it really was drawing out a lot more consumption from the sort of younger fan base that really needs like a social and interactive viewing experience for them to actually remain engaged and to watch as much NBA content as they want to watch. So all that sort of culminated in a, in a deal we struck this offseason with the NBA starting basically October. The deal technically goes live 24th, but 25th is when we're going to announce everything. Um, NBA League Pass will be available as a streaming option on playback. So creators and users will be able to like log in with their NBA League Pass credentials, authenticate, um, and then be able to stream NBA League Pass games to their community. And they'll also be like creators will be able to stream it to their community and community members will be able to join um, and watch alongside them with, with NBA League Pass. Um, and to be clear, this is just like the first of many partners. We're not trying to limit this just to NBA League Pass. We we focus on the NBA for a variety of different reasons, but we kind of think it's our first major foray into the space and something we're hoping to build upon from there. Thank you, RJ, for joining us on the show. We have more details in an exclusive story on frontofficesports.com written by yours truly. I ended it with a quote from Gilbert Arenas who said, I think it's going to be the evolution of how we watch sports. I don't know if it's the evolution, but it's definitely an evolution and one that we'll probably see in other leagues before long. Playback said it was in talks with basically every league that has its own streaming service and will also look to make deals with team-focused streaming platforms, RSNs, and other networks. And that's not even the only way the NBA is looking to bring in new fans. The production companies of LeBron James, Peyton Manning, and the Obamas are reportedly teaming up to produce a series which would follow certain NBA players on and off the court, similar to Netflix's quarterback, which Peyton's Omaha Productions co-created. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that the NBA is involved in the discussions and, like quarterback, this series would probably be on Netflix. We may eventually reach a saturation point on sports docuseries, but it looks like we're not there yet. 
Other Netflix series like Drive to Survive and Breakpoint have both been renewed. Full Swing, which follows golfers, appears to be drawing new people to the sport, with 63% of surveyed viewers saying they watched PGA Tour action after watching the series, and 11% of those people hadn't watched any golf in the previous six months. The only thing that might slow down these series are the athletes themselves. Quarterback is reportedly having trouble finding its next set of players for season two, and they may end up bringing in players from other positions to fill the gap. New York Knicks owner James Dolan has finally found someone willing to meet his lofty demands around sponsoring a Knicks jersey patch, and that person is himself. The Knicks jersey patch will be sponsored by Sphere Entertainment, owner of The Sphere, the eye-catching basketball-shaped venue in Las Vegas, which is owned by James Dolan. The Knicks didn't have a jersey patch last year after it ended its deal with Squarespace the year before. Terms of the Sphere deal were not disclosed, but the team had been seeking $30 million per season, double what it got from Squarespace, which would tie them with the Nets, who had a deal with investing platform Webull. The Golden State Warriors get around $45 million per season from Japanese technology company Rakuten. The Miami Heat announced earlier this month that their jersey patch sponsor will be Carnival, the cruise line business owned by Mickey Arison, who also owns the Heat, meaning that Dolan is the second NBA owner this month to make a deal with himself. Up next, I spoke to Mark Spears, senior NBA writer at ESPN and Anscape. Mark has been covering the NBA for over two decades, and he has some very interesting takes on the state of the league and where it should go next. That conversation is coming up right after this. All right, very excited to be joined now by Mark Spears, senior NBA writer with ESPN and Anscape. Welcome, Mark. Hey, man. Good to be on here. Great to have you. So there's a lot going on uh, the outset of this NBA season. Where's the biggest intrigue for you? Um, it's, it's There's so many storylines, it's really hard to pick one. Um, I guess, I mean, if I had to think of one thing, it's... Uh, Probably the Phoenix Suns. Um, just they've added Bradley Beal. Uh, they got this talent now, this three-headed monster. They're supposed to be special. You know, they open up the season at Golden State. And um, I, I just think that there hasn't been too many teams offensively that could be this special. Um, I talked to Kevin Durant about it, and he's not ready to quite say that they're as good as the Warriors teams that he was on that won championships. But I'm just, I don't think there's been enough buzz there. Um, but obviously, obviously the buzz is in San Antonio right now, understandably so. Uh, what Victor Wembanyama at a 7-5 phenom who I think is going to match and perhaps even exceed expectations. Every time I watch him, man, my jaw drops to the floor. Uh, it's just um, incredible, incredible height, but yet skilled, talented athlete, all that. This is the next generation NBA player. Uh, I, don't, I don't think this will be the last Victor Wembanyama we see, but to see him in person, I, I advise anybody that's near a San Antonio Spurs game, like you have to see him in person to really understand how unique this new gift to the NBA is. So um, I'm curious about Phoenix, but I know most eyes are probably on Victor Wembanyama. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and while we're on Wembanyama, if, if he is, you know, talent-wise or ability-wise, the next, let's say, LeBron James, someone of that caliber, someone who will change the league um, 
in that same sort of way. If you're the NBA, what what do you do with that? I mean, it, it, a lot of it's just going to happen on its own. But but yeah, how do you take advantage of that gift? Well, you know, me growing up in the Bay Area, you're a Bay Area guy. Like, I'm, I'm kind of aging myself because it's my 25th season covering the NBA. But when I was a kid, I'm 6'6", six, six, and it was just like, put your butt in the post. You need to play in the post. You know, you, you got to be a low post player. And now, thank God for these kids, they're not told that. Like, they, they have skills. They're, they're taught to dribble. They're taught to shoot. And so now I think, you know, Europeans were ahead of us. European basketball was ahead of that. They always have taught their players to learn all the skills. But, you know, there was some antiquated way that Americans thought that just because you're tall, you had to be in the post. And uh, which now we finally caught up. And I think so when you see Victor do what he does, I think it's going to have an impact on kids all over the world. And so you're going to see more players that are 6'10 and up that are, are really skilled, can shoot, um, can can dribble, like do everything. And so I think that certainly wasn't the case ever before, but in the future, I think every, every kid is gonna have to be able to shoot and dribble and you, you can't just be 6'10", 280 to survive in the NBA. You're gonna have to do a lot more. So the same way that I think Steph Curry certainly has uh, had effect on American youth, youth all over the world in terms of shooting. Cause to me, the three point shot is the little man's dunk. Right. Um, I, I think that when Mian is going to have an impact on, on players that have a lot of height um, to show them that you, you can't just be stereotyped as some inside guy taking hooks and rebounds. And yeah, I guess that it speaks to um, something I wanted to, to ask you about, which is if you think of this, NBA era, like the, the modern NBA, whatever you want to start it. Um, what defines this generation, would you say, compared to, to previous iterations of the NBA? Um, I think the athleticism is, is more universal now than it's ever been. Like when you used to watch the NBA in the 80s and the 90s, like every team had like one or two guys. Perhaps there was one guy that was exceptional, Jordan-esque kind of athleticism. And now it's like <laughs> all these guys are like super athletes, man. Um, it is just the athleticism is off the charts um, uh, and and the skills are off the charts. And I, I think because the NBA has so much talent that they're not only getting from America, but from getting worldwide. I mean, I know they want to expand to two teams. Maybe they th- should think about more. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Four sounds like a lot, but given the talent that is that is coming into this this country to play in this league, maybe maybe that's not like a, a far stretch, right? To to add four four more teams, um, I, I do expect in the next expansion when uh, the uh, new TV deals come in that there will be two new teams. I know everybody's anticipating it being um, Las Vegas and it being uh, Seattle. But I, I did this story. I, I advise those that haven't read it to read about what it'd be like to have a team in Mexico City. And and I find I think financially, whoever does that is making a mint. 
like Mexico City is like four times larger than New York City. And you get not only the mammoth television market uh, in Mexico, but you also get Latin America as well. And so there's a ton of money to be had for for a team in Mexico City. I think it's time for the NBA to branch out a little bit. So I'm probably one of the few people, you know, banging the Mexico City drum. But after spending some time there with the G League uh, team, uh, the Capitanes, seeing them play in front of like 18,000 for a G League game in a 22,000-seat arena and spending time in the Polanco neighborhood, which is like a and Beverly Hills suddenly has some swag and coolness to it. Um, I, I really think that um, that should be a top the NBA's list of places to put a team. Yeah, no, it is a little weird how it doesn't come up more often. I know there's the altitude issue of it's, you know, it's like Denver plus 2000 feet or something. But still, it's it's a huge market. It's in North America. It's, you know, an easy connection to the U.S. It's closer to a lot of U.S. cities than, you know, it's closer to like, you know, Texas, obviously, than New York is. Um, so it's not like a big geographic hall. Yeah, I talked to one player uh, playing on the team last year and I asked him about the al- altitude. And he, he said that once you live there for a while, it's not an issue for the players. He said, certainly it's a home court advantage. Right. Which Denver has too. Yeah. But this is even a different level like that. If they come into the league, that 5280 shirt will be laughable. Right. Compared to what's Mexico City 7000. Um, but I I do see a day when there's a. NBA, Major League Baseball, and NFL team in Mexico City. And yeah, you mentioned the the G League. I've noticed you covered the G League over Time Elite. How would you describe the relationship between the NBA and those leagues? I mean, it's 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 fantastic. Um, I, I remember covering the Nuggets in the early 2000s, and I had a young player named Nicolo Skittishvili who was ahead of the game in terms of being a seven-footer with skills. He's 7'1", uh, had all the skills that Dirk had, right? Kind of remind me of Chet Holmgren in a sense, um, but he just wasn't mentally and physically ready to do what they expected him to do as soon as he was drafted. And there wasn't really a G League at the time. I think he certainly would have benefited it, benefited from it, and gotten stronger, gotten more confidence, and kind of you know same same with a guy like Darko Milicic. I think if Darko had the G League to lean on. Um, so now, um, you know, teams have that and, um, you know, it's not like at first it was like, oh man, it's like a slap in the face to have to go there and play games, you know, the motion to triple a, so to speak. Whereas now I think people see it as a useful tool. I mean, look what it did for Jordan Poole from the Warriors now with the wizards. I mean, he, he basically found his confidence in his game in the G league. And then you look at the G League Ignite, which um, Ignite is a phenomenal program that has developed the likes of, you know, uh, Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga and and, and now Scoot Henderson. Um, they, they have over 10 players in, a, in you know, Marjan Beauchamp, uh, over 10 players in the NBA right now. And so that's like a really cool almost farm system and you know, uh, alternative to going to college. Uh, for, um, you know, high school players go there, get a good paycheck and learn the NBA game. So I think Scoot Henderson is advanced. Um, I mean, I, I talked to him and he said that he, you know, there certainly were some things that he needed to learn, but he felt like in terms of um, 
you know, the, the, in, in terms of adapting to the NBA game, he felt like he was ahead of his uh, fellow rookies, which I thought was, was quite interesting, but the G league prepared him for that. Cause he's basically been playing for against NBA players for two years. Yeah. I could see G league ignite, you know, really growing over the years because obviously a lot of college kids, their goal is to be in the NBA. That's their whole thing. You know, they're taking classes, but those are just to kind of get by. And, um, and, and the yeah, G League Ignite goal. this next season, they have more young kids than they have ever had. Usually it was like two or three. I think now they got like eight. So it's um they they they're certainly, you know, moving to that platform where hey, we're a true place for kids that are senior in high schools, freshman age in college to go and um get their skills before putting their name in the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. And do you see a trajectory there or is it more just like year by year? We'll, we'll see where this goes. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have competition with like overtime elite. Um, Australia has a good program uh, with young players uh, that you saw um, uh, the mellow ball playing. Um, there's a kid named Alex Saar who's playing in it now who played it overtime elite. Who's, potentially a number one pick in the draft playing in Australia, French kid in their like young players program. So, um, you know, college now that they're able to pay, uh, it certainly, um, makes a unique competition. You know, do you want to go, go to Australia? Do you want to play for the G league Ignite? Do you want to go to school, but get paid to go to school and perhaps get a lot more, um, publicity because your games are on network television all the time promote it. Not that G League games aren't, they're just like, do people know that they're on, right? Um, so I, I, I think there's kind of an interesting little arms race uh, coming from OTE and, and, and Ignite and college basketball and Australia uh, to get some of the young talent of the world. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be really interesting to watch, you know, as that whole system evolves, because it's still pretty new. And the the G League's been around for a little while. But I think the presence of a college alternative for especially for young American basketball players, um, you know, it's it's going to be a real factor. And I think the NCAA, you know, is going to have to, you know, think about how it wants to position itself, um, you know, to if because I think eventually it's going to be seen as as something that is drawing serious talent talent. Um, um, before we let you go, uh, I know you're doing a diary series with Bradley Beal this season. Uh, so you can just talk a little bit about that and why of you know the many NBA players you, you could have worked with. Why Beal? Yeah, this is probably close to being like my 10th diary series that we've done. We've done guys like Vince Carter and Fred Van Vliet and Draymond Green and James Wiseman, Kate Cunningham. Uh, last season was CJ McCollum, who was amazing. Um, he actually would edit his own diary before it printed, which, which was fascinating to me that uh, how much time and energy he put into it. And then this year, kind of think we're taking it to a different level um, with Bradley Beal, who was gracious enough to to bless us with his presence. And so it's uh, written for the first time, it's written and video. And so really, really excited about the season. We filmed our first one uh, a week ago in Scottsdale and um, 
he was fantastic. Uh, had a lot of interesting things to say that kind of shook up the NBA world yesterday in terms of how he wanted to go to Miami initially and how it all played out, the other teams that were involved and how Washington, in a lot of ways, the new management nudged him out to leave. Like, hey, we will help you facilitate a trade. I don't want me to stay. Like, <laughs> pretty good. Like, you, we don't want you to go. You don't have to go home, but you got to get the hell out of here. Right. Kind of like the nice nudge out. So he, he was great. I'm, I'm excited about doing that the whole season with him. And he, he certainly was super professional and into it. And um, so, yeah, so keep to keep in, in tune with uh, the journey we take with Bradley Beal this season is, he tries to help the Suns win their first ever championship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that team stays healthy because yeah, like you said, they're, they're a powerhouse when, when everything's going right. I, they should be anyway. We haven't seen it yet, but um, awesome stuff. Mark Spears. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That is it for today. Subscribe to front office sports today on the podcast platform of your choice or tell a friend about the show. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. 